Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Charles, three, two, one, kids, you're dismissed. <laughs> well, I look out there and they're on the edge of their seat. Okay, go ahead, say the word. Give me the word. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible or electronic device, if you'd open to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to continue our series on enough. We're going to start in chapter 12, but please forgive me because I'm going to use the NIV this morning because I used it for a lot of years, and this particular passage, and even the book of Colossians, I like it a little bit better, just a little bit. So I'll be using the NIV for most of, the, most of my talk this morning, and so anyway, I want to um, point out and tell you a story. On the screen, you'll see a picture of an aircraft. That's an E-2 Hawkeye. I had the privilege of working on that plane and flying in that plane. It is the plane that I took my first catch shot in. Now, I don't know if you've ever catapulted off an aircraft carrier, but it is a thrill of a lifetime, believe me. First of all, you go into the pararigger shop, you change clothes. You put on a flight suit, you put on your safety vest. You grab a helmet, and then you walk out to the airplane. You get into the airplane, your helmet's on, you get in your seat, you buckle yourself in, all the checks are done, and our, the plane captain, the squadron plane captain, he's out there doing all of his stuff. He turns the plane over to the flight deck yellow shirt. The yellow shirt directs the aircraft up to the yellow shirt that's up by the catapults. That yellow shirt directs the plane onto the catapult. Now, in the meantime, all this is going on. The wings are being spread. The engines, of course, are turning. The blast detector's coming up. And you're sitting in the back of that plane. The plane inches up. The launch arm on the front of the, front of the plane comes down into the slide. The tension bar that's holding the plane back, and believe me, it's really interesting, because there's just this little device, this little piece of steel holding this massive airplane back as it's powering up. So it's amazing. I, I had one. I kept one of those for years. I don't know what happened to it. I wish I'd have hung on to it. But we're sitting in the back of the plane, and all of a sudden, there, the plane is turned over to the, the, launch, the um, launch deck chief, and he's out there, and of course, he's doing this. That plane is starting to turn. The pitch on the, air, on the propellers are turning. The engines are revving up. The back of that plane is just shaking like crazy. And you're sitting there, and they, they said, salute. The minute they say salute, you better bury yourself in that seat because all of a sudden, the next thing you know, bam! Two seconds, you're going from zero to 145 miles an hour. And then this captain that's sitting behind me goes, Yahoo! <laughs> and I'm going, I'm going to die! <laughs> But what a thrill it was to take off, and as we leave the flight deck, we bank and head for the heavens. 
What a thrill that was. I can't imagine what it was like to be a, a Christian in the first century church. But what a thrill it must have been to launch. And as Paul, as we turn into the, look into these scriptures, Paul launches us into the word this morning and we're reminded in verse 1 that we have been raised with Christ. So we are to set our hearts and our minds on the things above. And Paul is letting us know that we, when we came to Christ, when we came to Him, that moment we joined Him, we were co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, and co-ascended to where we are sitting at the right hand of the Father, even though we're sitting here today. In Galatians 2.20, Paul brings us out a little bit more in some other passages. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 2.6, the New Living Translation, I love it. He says that raised, he wrote, he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we were united with Christ Jesus. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17, the, the New English Standard Version, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And so Paul, he spent just the verses before with Shannon dealt with last week, and he basically said, you know, we gotta take all this stuff off, why? Because we're new. This is, we're, we're living a new life. We're living something that, that is no, you know, it, the old self is gone. He's dead. And so we turn to verses 12 and 13. And in those verses we read, therefore. And of course, therefore, it, it connects. As, God has cho as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. As I pointed out, it starts with therefore. Therefore, it connects us with the old. He said, take off the old, because if we, you take off the old, if you don't put something back on that's new, you'll end up putting the old back on. But before he gets into what we need to put on, he basically lets us know who we are. Now, I don't know how much time you spend thinking about these words, but over the past few weeks, as I've been looking at this passage and thinking these words, and the first words comes out that as God's chosen people, Think about that. This mighty God of heaven, creator of heaven and earth, at some point in time in our lives, reached down from heaven through the Spirit, touched our lives. We have made of, may have heard the gospel a million times and never responded to it. But that million and first one, that million and first time, Something happened. We're told in the Gospels, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, I chose you, you didn't choose me. God chose us. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. 
Out of all, everything that's going on in the world, he, he managed to reach down and touch our lives. A switch comes on, real, we realize now, I'm a sinner separated from God and I need Jesus Christ. I need my sins to be nailed to the cross. I need to, be, to die. To join in him with his resurrection and to join him in the heavens. And then he goes on to say, you're holy. <laughs> the only holy thing about me is probably my t-shirts that I wear to bed. <laughs> I asked my granddaughter, she counts them. Grandpa, you know you got nine holes in your t-shirt? <laughs> holy, we're separated out. He calls us out. I love the way R.C. Sproul puts it in his book on the holiness of God. He says, the Bible calls us holy or holy ones. We are holy because we have been consecrated to God. We have been set apart. We have been called to a life that is different. And this is the part I really like. The Christian life is a life of nonconformity. The world says you have to live this way. The world says you have to accept this group of people, that group of people. You can't say these words. You can't join this group because if you do, we're going to call you names. We're going, to, we're going to make sure your business goes out of business. We're going to make sure that you are slandered, that you are despised amongst everybody, whoever comes in contact with you. You think you got bad reviews on your Facebook page? Speak out against us and see what happens. But we're called not to be part of that life. We're called out from the world. We're called out from that way of life, from that, that standard, because we are non-conforming to the world, but to Jesus Christ, who has co-seated us into the heavens. And then he calls us dearly loved. How great, how great is his love. Dearly loved. It, it, it's basically the we're the object of his love. It's purposeful love. It's the love that he actually bestows upon us so that we will know that we are loved and accepted. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing to think that this God of heaven will come down, touch my life, separate me out, call me out, and then love me dearly. It's just, you ask yourself, why would somebody love me like that? I mean, if you knew some of the things that I did, and I, how could somebody love me like that? But he does. And to me, it's one of the amazing wonders of all time. But after Paul lays down this, this groundwork of letting him know who we are, that we're chosen, we're holy, and we're loved, he goes into this list. He says, now this is what I want you to put on. Therefore, you've taken off all this stuff. Now these are the things, that I, the values, the qualities, the characteristics I want you to put on. And he starts with compassion. Compassion is basically, it literally means to suffer together. It's defined as a, a feeling that arises when you're confronted with another suffering and feels motivated, and you feel motivated to relieve that suffering. You'll notice it's motivated to relieve the suffering. 
We can see somebody and we can, offer, you know, we can you know, feel compassion before them, but we can also turn our backs and walk away because we're only motivated. But what Paul does is he links the words together and he comes up with a second word quality that he talks about, and that's kindness. You see, kindness is what is the action that we put in to the compassion. Kindness is, is the action that arises out of the sense of sympathy. It can make many forms. It can, it can take a smile, an offer for a cup of coffee, a kind word, a pat on the shoulder, an invitation to lunch, or just simply an offer to help. It could be taking some time and just pausing in your life to sit next to somebody and maybe not even say a word. My grandfather passed away a lot of years ago now. But what had happened is he had a heart attack one evening. He was taken to the hospital. The next morning, he was up. Him and the doctor were having a normal conversation. Boom, he was gone. They called my grandmother and told her, John's passed. Is there anybody there with you? And she said, no, I'm by myself. I remembered that. She grabbed the book of all the people that attended the service, and there were a lot, and she started, and, I, and so I came by, and I came, and I sat down next to her. Didn't say a word. She opens the book and starts going name by name by name. I didn't know 90% of them, but I listened. And when it was time for Judy and I to leave, we had gotten up that morning, she fixed us breakfast, and we were leaving. She called me into my grandfather's room. She said, I want to give you a couple of things, and she gave me a couple of items that belonged to him. She collapsed into my arms, sobbing, I'm all alone, I'm lonely. Sometimes you just have to be there. Sometimes you just don't have to say anything. A hug, a gentle touch, some act of kindness that addresses the compassion. That's a, ver a value that Paul would like us to put on. The next is probably the toughest of them all, and that's humility. John Stott rightly calls humility the rarest and fairest of all Christian virtues. It is the chief Christian character quality because it is the exact opposite of the words, worst sin, or sins, which is pride. Pride tells, you, tells us that we're better than this and we don't have to get involved in this so we don't have to worry about this. We can see that compassion is needed but we don't have to act in kindness because of the fact that, you know, hey, we don't want to get our hands dirty. 
They're not of our class. They're not of our stature. They don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't live like us. In essence, we're saying we're better than them. The apostle himself in another place said we are to regard others as better than ourselves. Total opposite of pride. Total opposite of of what we would do in a natural state. We are to look at people and see that they're no different. We are to look at people and I realized there was times when I've gotten into conversation where some guys started getting a little bit of uppity and I would ask them just out of, I don't know, aggravation. How do you put your pants on? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I just wanted to know if you have the capability of running across the room, jumping and hitting both legs at the same time, or do you put them on one at a time? Because if you put them on one at a time, I put them on one at a time, we're the same. Humility, that act of putting others above ourselves. That attitude that we have that there's no special importance that makes me better than you. And then he goes on to gentleness. And I hope you can see there's a connection here. If not, I'm going to be putting it all together here in a moment. And, but gentleness, gentleness is, is also times translated meekness. Not weakness, but meekness. It's defined as strength under control. It's also defined as a willingness to waive one's rights for a good cause. It's the ability where we choose, rather than to assert superiority, We choose to be gentle, wanting to help others, even if we've been done wrong. Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery, caught in sin? Remember her? I love the storytellers, the the pastors who kind of are able to elaborate a little bit more on them and you know Jesus knelt down and he started drawing in the sand what did he draw in the sand did he did he draw words I like to think he maybe did because when he told those Pharisees those Sadducees those people that wanted to stone that woman when it when he said You without sin cast the first stone. I wonder if they were able to see those words in the dirt because they all of a sudden started peeling off one at a time. Woman, where are those that accuse you? They're not here, Lord. Go and sin no more. Jesus knew the law. He knew what the law stated, but he chose grace. Instead of exercising in strength, he showed gentleness. One person put it this way, it is a strong hand with a soft touch. It is a tender, compassionate approach towards others. 
weakness and limita- others' weaknesses and limitations. A gentle person still speaks the truth, sometimes even the painful truth, but in doing so guards his tone so that the truth can be well received. Gentleness. And now here's the good one, patience. The ability to endure difficult people Of course, nobody here has difficult people in their life, right? Nobody. Difficult, endure difficult people and situations while giving into anger, flying into rage, or giving up hope. In reality, patience is a negative term because it says to hold back, to restrain yourself from becoming upset or speaking sharply to somebody. Perfect illustration of this happened just the other day. Judy, you know, my hearing aids tie into the TV, and so if I listen to the TV, I can't hear Judy talking behind me. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So she comes around the couch. Will you help me empty the dishwasher? Go around, dishwasher's empty. I look up, and you all know the look. (laughs) You all know the look when your parents give you the look? Yeah, look at them teenagers. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know the look. The look. Look down, dishwasher's still empty. Guilt is piercing from her eyes into my soul. Well, and then there comes the words. I emptied it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. See, Judy exercised patience with me. Why, I don't know, but she did. Instead of saying, I asked you to come help me do the dishes, why didn't you get up from the TV? Is that TV more important than I am? Why didn't you come and help me? I'm doing this, I do that, and you couldn't come help me. She didn't do that. She just gave me the look. (laughs) That said it all. She didn't have to say anything. But she restrained from the words and showed me patience. Putting these first few characteristics together, it better helps us understand the next one that we find in verse 13. Because you see, if we are compassionate and we're willing to show kindness in that compassion, if we are to be humble, in our approach to while showing kindness and being compassionate, we're not, we're not really, really caring who the person is, what stature they have. And if we're exercising patience towards that person, 
And while doing whatever it is God is asking us to do in that situation towards somebody, when Paul says that we are to bear with each other, it's a greater understanding because all the other things come into that one point because bear each other up simply means to put up with or to uphold and support someone. It's making allowance for each other's faults. For... Nobody's perfect. We all have our bad days, extended periods of isolation, sick loved ones, death, financial losses, you know, work problems. Uh, all these kinds of things can contribute to, a, to our health and, and probably safety. All these things can make many of us stressed and irritable. Many people are privately struggling in areas and it's not until something happens that we realize something is wrong. It is not, it's at this time that we may need a person who will uphold us. Put up with us. Support us. While we move through these times that we're struggling with. And see, if you're wearing the value of compassion, if you're wearing the value of kindness, if you're wearing the value of humility, if you're wearing the value of patience, it makes it so much easier to bear up with someone, to support that person, to get behind them and lift them up, to take them from where they are and possibly help them rise a little bit above their circumstances. But if we turn our back on compassion, if we don't bother to act in the way of kindness, we're too proud to put, get our hands dirty, we just don't have the patience because it just costs too much. How can we come together? How can we minister one to another? But Paul follows this up probably and, and lastly with forgiveness. Because when we're bearing people up and we're supporting them and we're getting involved with people's lives, things can happen. Words can be spoken that shouldn't have been spoken. Things could have been done that shouldn't have been done. People offend each other and, and we all of a sudden realize we're hurt. And Paul, and I think he purposely left this, this particular value to last and that's forgiveness. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive us as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive because that's what God wants us to do. We are told in Scripture that if we have something against another, we're to go to that other person. Whether that person offended us or we offended them, if there's something wrong there, go to them. Ask forgiveness. It may be nothing, but it could be something. We don't have to repress our feelings of injustice or unfairness that we feel. We are to say how we feel, but having done that, and this is the point, having gotten it out in the open, forgive it, Forget it. Put it away. 
In the Old Testament, we're told that when the Lord forgave us, our sins were cast into the deepest part of this ocean. And then he put an old fishing sign up. For some, we forget about forgiveness. We forget about what it means to forgive. But forgiveness basically is that we don't maintain a historical record. We don't maintain the ability to walk down memory lane and bring up everything that we ever did in order to make the other person's rose wilt a little bit more than my rose has been wilted. We don't share with everyone. When we forgive, we don't share it with everyone. We don't go out and broadcast it. That's between me and the person that I need to seek forgiveness from or the person that asked me for forgiveness. For why do we want to continue to fuel the resentment and the unfairness that took place? Why do we want to keep that going? We don't. Forgiveness says, put it away. Forgiveness says we don't have to keep reminding ourselves. Reminding ourselves of what has been forgiven or what we do or what we can expect in a relationship, a relationship to heal. Sometimes the hurt runs so deep, even though we forgive, maybe that relationship will never be the same. God wants them to heal. Maybe it just doesn't happen. Forgiveness lets go of the wrong just as Christ did for us. And then to wrap this all up, he says, put on love. And I found this to be very interesting. Verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. If we love, we're going to be compassionate. If we love, we're going to show kindness. If we love, we're going to humble ourselves. If we love, we're going to be gentle. If we love, we're going to be patient. If we love, we're going to bear up another person's and support another person where they need to be supported. If we love, we're going to get forgiveness. And I believe this, par- this, this verse is planted here because it's right between two sections. It's kind of like a hinge verse, and that's kind of how I, that's how I looked at it. it. The love says that we're supposed to bind all these virtues together, and that first section was for the individual. It was for us as individuals. The second part of this passage deals with us as a church. Because if we're doing all the other, if we're putting on these virtues, if we're putting on the love and the compassion, the meekness, the humility, the gentleness, the patience, the bearing of one, up one of one another. If we're doing all that, when we come together as a body, what's it going to look like? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. The late Red St- Ray Stedman wrote a book on body life. He pointed out in the body what it should be like 
when people are interacting, when we're living as Christ lives and we're impl- implementing these virtues, we're implementing these, these character qualities amongst ourselves and what that body should look like. It, it, it's just interesting read. I don't think the book is in print anymore because it's really an old book. But it points out that there's three, three aspects here of the church. We find peace, we find precepts and praise. Because verses 15 through 16 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you and richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs and spiritual singing up to God with gratitude in your hearts. Peace, that inner calmness. That inner calmness comes when you're having that relationship with God because of who you are with Him, because you have been chosen, because you're holy, because you are deeply or dearly loved. That peace of Christ reigning in us as we ex- portray Him, as we allow ourselves to live in Him, showing the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the patience, bearing up in the forgiveness. You see, when we're at peace with ourselves outside, when we come together, we're saying that the peace of God reign in us. It's reigning in us. If we're acting out, as Paul has said, if we take these virtues and put them in us, and we have peace with ourselves and amongst ourselves outside this body, when we come in together, what are we going to have? We're going to have that peace. We're not going to have the factions fighting, fighting against each other. We're not going to have people, different people, saying different things, doing different things. We're going to be moving as one body the body of Christ, displaying itself in many different factions, displaying ourselves because there's so many different gifts represented here. But it's out of that peace. He goes on to say, let the word dwell in you richly. Make it the central place. You'll notice that in the passage it says that everybody's involved in that. Everybody's involved in the sharing of the Word. We do it here on Sunday mornings. We do it in our small groups, our life groups that we have throughout, that spread out throughout the, the week. And in that Word we find that we, find it, we can be encouraged and at the same time we can be admonished. We can be encouraged because God is saying we are to encourage one another, but we need sometimes to be, hey, you know what, there's this area of your life. And God could be pricking that area. Maybe you need to talk to somebody or maybe you need to ask somebody about that. Hey, is that in my life? But it's all part of the body life. And then there's praise. We did that this morning. Worship song, praying, singing, having this attitude of gratitude, being thankful because of why? Because God has chosen us, we didn't choose Him. Because God reached down and made us holy. God made, loved us enough that He would send His Son on this earth in, its, in flesh and blood so that He could die and we could be joined with Him. Body life. When we do 
when we add those virtues into our lives, they run over into our life in the church. Well, it's come time to land this thing. Time to come back down to earth. We've been up there sewing around, and I don't know if you've ever landed on an aircraft carrier, but it's the totally opposite of taking off. When you take off, you bury yourself into the seat. When you take off, you lean as far forward as you can. And no matter how far you leave, your hands are going to go. Because you're going from about 100 to 140 miles an hour to zero in just a matter of a few yards. But it's time to come back down to earth. Because in the next section, Paul is basically saying, this is what you need to do when you leave here today. And that brings me to my third point, when properly clothed, we are living for Christ. When we put on the virtues, when we put on those things that God has, has told, what Paul has said to clothe ourselves in, we will leave from here and people will see Jesus Christ. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do in word, and deed. The words that we speak have meaning. The words that we use show our relationship. If we choose the words that mm, are we really revealing Christ? Are we really living for Him if our speech is not edifying? If we talk more like a sailor than we do a saint. I love verse 3 and 4. It says, For you died. Going back into the early part of the chapter. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life? When He becomes our life, people will see that. Word and deed. What we speak and what we do. It all ties together. It comes down to the virtues. Are we willing to put those on so that they can be lived out within the church body and lived out in our community? Uh, as you go through them, where are you at? Which one do you maybe need to work a little bit harder on? I know for me it's forgiveness. Boy, I tell you, that's the hardest part, of my, hardest part for me. Forgiving people. But I've come a long way. Here I am in the fall of my life and I'm just grasping the idea of forgiveness. What is it for you? Compassion? You need to look around and see where people are. Maybe it's the acting on that compassion, showing kindness. Maybe it's hard for you to humble yourself to work with somebody that doesn't look like you, act like you, or are like you, or because they aggravate you, you just can't, there's no way. Are you able to be gentle, you know, come alongside somebody and use a soft hand instead of you know, if you would have just listened. 
Maybe it's patience. Whatever it is that you need to work on, I challenge you, I ask you, I beg you, take that time and ask God to reveal how he can exercise that in your life so that you can grow in this area, so that we can function better as a body, that we can function better as individuals, that we can function better when we go out into the world and represent Jesus Christ. Whatever we do, in word and deed. Let's pray. Father, You've asked us this morning to clothe ourselves in a different way simply because of the fact of what you've done for us. You have launched us into the heavenlies because of your Son, Jesus Christ. The place where our mind and our heart should be. And while there we are living for you here on this earth. As we leave this place this morning, I, I just pray that we will be taking you with us, revealing you to the world that we come in contact with this week so that they will see you because we are in you and you are in us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being the God in heaven who reached down and touched us, who set us apart loves us so much that you're willing to work with us and help us grow. Clothe us, Father, in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church. But tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.